1: Stevens, New York Times best selling and award winning author of kick ass international thrillers. And this is The Taylor Stevens Show with my good friend Steve Campbell, where we are kicking riding in the butt one word at a time.
0: Taylor, you and I grew up during different eras and were exposed to different things when we were growing up. But one of the things that I was exposed to when I was growing up was this show called Green Acres.
1: I have no idea You've what is. You've
0: probably never <laughs> seen it before. <laughs> that
1: has to do with growing up an occult.
0: <laughs> it, it, it does not. And area. I'm sure it was not something that would have been available in uh, Equatorial Guinea or anywhere like that. Or in Japan or, or anywhere. But this was a show about this society woman and an attorney from New York. He decided he wanted to be a farmer, so they moved to the farm... And they called it Green Acres, and it was a very funny show. It lasted for several years, and it, I, the theme from that song runs through my head when I hear you talk about living on the farm. And we were talking before we came on the air today about you You are now eating from your own garden in, at the farm. So you, you really are living the Green Acres life now. We just, we put heavy quotes around
1: it. Yes. Um, yeah, no, the garden part is true though. I, uh, is my, like, I've talked about this garden so much, but I, it's my first garden ever. Right. And so I messed up really bad trying to get it, like get my seed seedlings going and stuff with timing and how soon I could get them out there. And I'm so ignorant when it comes to what you grow when and what soil? Oh, what goes with what? It's just too much. You need a degree for that, or lots of experience, of which I have neither. Well, or so, you need
0: Mr. Haney, who has experience with that, <laughs> which I don't
1: have. <laughs> so, um, what I ended up with that have actually really flourished are zucchini plants, squash plants, cucumber plants, and tomato plants that are that are all doing really well. So I am starting to eat off the garden, and it, it it's just. Oh, and my onions. But I'm so shocked. Like, all my life, I've eaten vegetables mostly because I had to. Or because, (laughs) hey, I need to eat something that doesn't have a bazillion calories in it. Okay, fine, I'll have a salad. But I've never really enjoyed vegetables like, oh, my God, I'm really looking forward to eating that. And that is starting to change because I don't know why this never crossed my mind, but... Gardens out of the vegetables out of the garden taste completely different than vegetables from the grocery store. They have flavor. They have a different texture. They have something to them that makes your brain go, "Oh, this is really nice. Let's go cook those and eat them, or eat them raw." And and the reason why it's shocking to me that I didn't realize this is because, duh. But Mm. (laughs) also, like I have, I've been eating, um, like. I've had chickens for quite some time. And I, so I've, I've had fresh eggs for the longest time and I've just gotten used to that. And I've always loved eggs my whole life. I've loved eggs, even in the cult where, you know, if you have any idea how hard it is to prepare eggs for a hundred people in a half an hour, we did not have good meals there. Cult food was just horrible, but I still love the eggs, even if the, nobody else can eat them. I eat them. So I've never really had an egg that I didn't like. And there's a, a breakfast diner, a really famous breakfast diner in Dallas called Mama's Daughter's Diner. And I've been there a few times. i always loved the food. And the last time that I went is not recently, but I, I ordered the same thing that I, you know, the eggs, whatever. And I literally was gagging trying to get them down. Like, I was like, what? <laughs> And, and I realized then that I'd just gotten so used to the way that the fresh eggs from, and they're not, the, the chickens aren't caged. They just go wherever. They, they put themselves up. I don't do anything with them except in the winter when maybe the food gets a little sparse, sparse. I'll, you know, supplement them. but So eating eggs that are just actually just from hens that are just doing whatever they want to do is so different that, like, I gagged on it. And so... I know logically, from my experience, that it's just not the same. Why I didn't realize the same thing about vegetables is beyond me. I'm not stupid. Why didn't that click? It just never clicked in my brain. Now it's clicking and I'm like, I don't know if I ever want to go back to eating grocery store vegetables. I don't know that, I mean, this is my first garden. I don't know how good or how bad it's going to go. I'm hoping I get better at this over time but it was it's really enlightening to me to realize that oh my god this is a completely different experience and it, it it's almost impossible to describe how not thrilling it's not the just how fun it is to go digging through the leaves on a little adventure looking for whatever's ready to pick and just pull off and eat and take it into the kitchen and eat it like it's just mm-hmm. I don't know. It it just could just be a phase. But yes, garden. Okay, moving on. All right, so when I
0: was <laughs> when I was growing up in Ohio, we reached a point I grew up on for most of my childhood, we had 5 acres of land and mom planted a garden that was kind of small. And then it got bigger and bigger and bigger to the point where I was maybe 16, it got really big. And The only thing, I I know we grew all kinds of things, and when I say we, I mean mom, because I had nothing to do with it. I hated vegetables. (laughs) And so all of a sudden, we have all this corn and all these tomatoes. And so in, I I don't even know what month it was, like mid-August to mid-September, it seemed like was corn and tomatoes month because it would last about a month, and that's all we would have for dinner. Every night was corn and tomatoes, and it was the <laughs> best. It was so oh, good.
1: I thought you were going to say you got so oh, sick of no. never it. It was
0: so fabulous, and, I, you know, I moved to a city after that and then eventually moved down to Florida, and I thought, oh, where well, there are all these farms, and, and you can grow things year-round. The corn and tomatoes will be great down here. Uh, they're not Every so often I'll get some good corn and some good tomatoes, but it normally only lasts for maybe a week and i I really look back fondly on those on those days it It, it was so good i would have rather I would rather have that than almost anything, That's but there's such a difference as you said, between a really good freshly grown tomato from your garden where there's not a lot of other stuff that's a part of the growing process because you're, you're not growing 5,000 acres worth of tomatoes. You're, you're growing a little bit and uh, they're fabulous. So I, yeah. I completely understand that I'm jealous that you have this.
1: Well, I mean, you could too, because if I did it, my garden is very small and if I couldn't do it like this, I'd probably just use pots on a balcony or something like, you know, I, I will find a way to, to grow a tiny garden
0: in a condo if I have to <laughs> like,
1: now, that I, now that I know now that I know now my eyes have been opened
0: <laughs> okay all right so let us let us grow instead of a garden let us grow our writing capabilities so what what is our topic for today Taylor
1: well the topic is about villain characters and if there is such a thing as a character who is too evil the reason that we are discussing this topic is because I saw it as a question. It wasn't a question direct addressed directly to me. Um, I can't read the question because I don't have, you know, a person's permission to read it. But it, it went something along the lines of they had have. It wasn't with books. I think it was um, like a video game or something. They had happened across a video game in which one of the characters did some very evil things. Uh, they were like a stalking thing uh, it was a b- as a bad character in in this storyline, I suppose. and that there might have been some sexual assault or something else that was involved in it. And the reaction to the people who, from the people who were playing the game uh, seemed to be one of this this is awful, this ruins it, you know this is too much. you know why did you do that to the, to the developers? And so this person, was asking like, well, is there such a thing as a character that's too evil, or are there things that you simply don't ever write about? And the reason they were asking is, is they had a character that um, I, I, I believe I don't I don't really remember, but they have a character had a character that maybe there was some kind of assault or something like that involved, and they didn't want to find themselves in a situation where people were jumping down their throats over this because they wrote something they didn't know they were supposed to write and I thought it was a really really fascinating question the the core question of can a character be too evil and the sub subtext of it of readers or we're going to talk about this as if it's readers but readers responding in a very um vehemently negative way to two bad characters and the the, the confusion of the, the poster was like well this was supposed to be a bad character so i don't understand why everybody's upset you know and so i had thoughts on it and i thought it would make for a really good discussion
0: okay and you know it's interesting we'll we'll get into this as as you get into your discussion of this but i was actually just reading a book the other day where something happened and it's like okay i'm i'm done with this for a while and i was i was really enjoying it but it just it hit a button for me and I think we all have buttons. So I'll, I'll, I'll be curious to see where you're going with this discussion and how it kind of dovetails in with my experience as a, as a reader.
1: As, we were, as you were talking, it, it reminded me of one thing, maybe like a preface, I don't know. But I've been on several panels where the audience has asked the panelists, in our, Because we're all like thriller writers, violent, we write violent fiction, whatever. Do, is there a line you won't cross? Is there something that you won't write about? And all of us have them as, as authors. And a lot of times those lines we won't cross have a lot to do with things that we ourselves will not read. Um, some of them are uh, death of animals. Uh, I personally cannot enjoy any kind of suspense that involves children being used as the... Uh, the pawn, so like, or the, the plot device, so like, if a bad, if, if a, the villain kidnaps a child, and the villain happens to be a, a murderer, like, okay, if you have a villain who kidnaps a child, but you see them treat that child well, meanwhile the the parents and the society is freaking out about it, I, I can tolerate that because I'm not stressed out about the kid because the villain is not a psychopath in that sense, right? I, I can handle that. But if you know, like, the, the villain is a psychopath and they kidnap the kid and stuff it in a well. While they're everybody, the world's trying to find it. I just can't. I absolutely can't, and I won't write it either. So that's kind of like a line for me, right? So th- that's one version of you know, can, can a a villain be too evil? Well, yeah, they can be too evil for the author. <laughs> the author's just not gonna, just not gonna cross that line, right? But but evil is very subjective, uh, based on people's own tolerance for what they'll read and what they won't. Uh, case in point, how many. Readers have written to me railing against the swearing in my <laughs> in my <laughs> books, but have no problem with decapitation. <laughs> I'm like, okay, so obviously we all have our, our own individual sensibilities, right? But stepping back from that and just looking at it sort of from the big picture, the, the broader point of view, I would say that you really it really you come at it from two directions, right? So the first direction is your audience. And so, social and cultural norms. It's like the big, the big macro picture of it. In that, um, the the world that you live and walk in as a reader, what you find acceptable, unacceptable, the way you deal with threat, all of those things on on the grand social scale, which would be cultural. That differs from from country to country. It can differ from state to state. So what someone in Brazil might be able to tolerate in terms of evil or a villain's actions could be very different than somebody living in, I don't know, Micronesia. So that's that's the, the one half of it, right? If you're writing something that is just not acceptable to talk about or acceptable to discuss in that format for that culture, then that's that, you know, you might have people within that readers within that culture who tolerate it some, but it's just not done, then that's one whole half of it, right? So as Americans, we tend to write based on, I would say, sort of our quasi-American culture, but even the United States doesn't have a single culture. There's, There's many different cultures within this, not just because we're a massive melting pot, but because regional regionally, there are variances in what is acceptable and what is not. So as authors, I think we tend to bring to the table what our own culture or acceptability is. And that's kind of your starting point for discussion of can, can a villain character be too evil. The second, though, I would say, which is the more writing specific, that also can be divided into two, two different prongs, right? So the first side of it, would be genre and expectations. So, this type of villain behavior that the person was discussing and that people were so upset about, that might even be considered tame in like murder mystery type books or horror or whatever. But try and throw that into uh, a cozy or romance novel, and you've just massively crossed some lines, right? So. So much of what evil is, in quotes, um, depends on what readers are expecting going into the read. And that is based on genre and uh, also based on authors. Like you might have authors that kind of write between the genres that aren't solidly genre writing, but you know what you're going to get. So let's say, for example, uh, J.K. Rowling, you know, she had the whole Harry Potter Series And that's what people expected of her. And then she went and wrote Casual Vacancy. And oh, my God, the world exploded. It was foul. It was people just complaining. And they knew they weren't going to get a Harry Potter book. But that didn't matter. They were getting a J.K. Rowling book. And so they were expecting a similar experience in some way, even if there was no magic, even if there was no no other elements, no nothing was going to be the same. They still expected a similar enjoyment factor and it was anything but. So that expectation can come not just from the genre that you're reading in, but also from what you've uh, come to expect from a particular author. If I, for example, was to uh, switch over and write a romance novel, right? Um, Even though the, which would be incredibly difficult to do, romance novels are hard to do well, uh, I would, um, you know, people would still get the same textural detail and character or whatever, but they, it would be completely different. It wouldn't be, you know, there'd be not the same intensity, the same location. It would just be completely different. So even if it was me writing it and they were fans of me, they would be disappointed in the experience, especially if they didn't know what they were getting ahead, into ahead of time. Right. So that is one whole prong of this kind of evil character evil villain be too villain too, too evil, well, it depends on what our base expectations are, right? So moving on from there, assuming that we've got all that covered and we're writing in a genre where the type of evil we're discussing here actually fits the expectations, then we move into characterization. Because if evilness is part of a fully developed well-rounded character. And it, and it feels this this these evil acts, what and I'm putting evil in quotes because evil is subjective and whatever. But if this evil in quotes feels authentic to the plot, feels authentic to the character, to the character's backstory, to the character's motivations, then factoring for all those other things that we're talking about, the the act will feel organic as if it's part of a real person's uh, personality, character flaws, whatever you have it. And so even if readers despise the character, even if readers despise the acts, it's going to be because of who that character is, not simply because those specific acts in and of themselves offend them. And that's really what you're trying to do when you're writing villains, is to make it so organic to the character that you hate the character beyond just that's a despicable thing and nobody should do it. So the reverse of that is if the act, the evil that this person is doing is gratuitous, where it's only being shown as a way to like, articulate how evil the character is without taking time to fully develop that character as a living being, then the exact same actions, but done in a different way, they're going to have a completely different response. So when you have bad guy, we'll call him a henchman or whatever, come in and he beats somebody up just because he can, and you're only doing that to say, aha, now I introduce evil, evil villain, look how bad he is. But that beating the person up doesn't have anything to do with the plot as a whole. It's just, here's how we know this is a bad guy. That's gratuitous. And so beating somebody up is tame in level of quote-unquote evilness, but it's going to be annoying and offensive all, nonetheless, simply because it's gratuitous, right? Mm-hmm. So all of which to say this, this brings us back to that it depends because the same actions from a villain who's getting lots of page time and character development and it's critical to the plot is going to be completely different than somebody who's just a two-bit character comes in one scene and is out again. Like you don't have time to develop that person as a character that then becomes cliched. Like the, the, the sort of Neanderthal, like low IQ thug who's just following orders is so cliched. It's painful. You see it time and again though, because it's easy, but Anything that that kind of character does is is going to be is going to feel just that much more ugh because it's just violence for the sake of violence on the page. So you have to you have to be careful as you're doing these things. Like, can this character get away with it versus this character without totally interrupting the the reading pleasure? And, and you, as the author, have got to be the one to make that judge. Um, and so. That kind of was where my head was going in all of that. And also thought I was thinking about it in terms of, you know, how would you even do any of that stuff in, in a video game? You're like, I don't know how to do character development in a video game. I know how to do it in books because that's that's what I do. But I got to thinking about how it's it's not an apples to apples question. And the reaction that people were having to whatever this was, and I have no idea what it was, would maybe also be completely different than if they experienced it in a book. Because um, in video games, graphic novels, movies, they're all visual forms of storytelling. How you develop a character that that way is, is just completely different. You're not inside their heads. You have to just see what they're doing. So it's possible that some types of character behavior would be more offensive in visual form than in the written form, simply for the fact that storytelling techniques are completely different. And I don't actually know. I'm not a screenwriter. I'm not, uh, I I have never done graphic novels, never done video game development. So I have no clue. But it strikes me just from a surface perspective that I would find some things far more offensive in Video format just for the the brevity of it, the lack of space that you have to fully tell a character's story in some way. I know some video games get very very um, involved and detailed, but at the same time, lo- those levels of violence are are more tolerated and expected in video games. So it's just, I don't know. It just, it, it, I found it to be a fascinating question, but then stepping back and trying to do an apples-to-apples comparison, I realized you just can't because completely different storytelling techniques.
0: I, yeah, it is a fas- fascinating discussion. And I, I was reminded of a few things, and I'll, I'll try and make these points coherently. As I think a lot of people know, I work for a small publishing company, and we have a group of readers who read all of our books right before they go out, and that that group might be anywhere from 10 to 20 people. And every so often, there will be something in a book that for one reader is just a hard stop. I'm out. I cannot read books that have this in it. And other readers, I'll see the comments in, in the Google Doc, and other readers won't see that at all. But... We are all sensitive to certain things as, as just human beings. We're, we're more sensitive to something that happened to us or to a friend or to a family member, whereas for someone else who hasn't had that experience, they just blow right by it, and it's just kind of a thing, and they don't notice it at all. So that's, that's point one. Point two, you were talking about uh, children and harming children, and I was flashing back to a book that I had read. And I couldn't figure out why I kept reading it. Because it was from the very beginning, a child was kidnapped. So the opening chapter was his father and his son were out. And they're out walking in the woods. And all of a sudden, the son was gone. And then the book takes over. It was a police procedural. The book takes over and the detective steps in. And there's this serial killer of children who has oh come back. And it's so horrific that you would think, I have to just stop reading this. But because there was no bonding scene with the child or the family, it was just they were out walking and then he was gone. I, I was able to keep reading where if there had been a couple extra paragraphs, where you go, oh, you know, what a cute kid or something like that. And then as they were going through the book there was, the child was afraid. They would flash to the child and he would be afraid, but it wasn't the kind of situation that would cause me to say, I I can't read this. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure why my theory is that I didn't, as a reader, bond with the child. And now the last point is the book that I'd mentioned earlier. I'd started reading a series, was really enjoying it, and there was a character who I had bonded with and really liked, and she was kidnapped uh, two-thirds of the way through the second book, and I'm like, I can't read anymore right now because I really like this character, and I think I felt like the author broke the bond of trust with the reader where it, in that kind of book, in a, in a PI series, terrible things generally don't happen to primary characters, and, you know, the primary characters are the ones that are saving other people from terrible things. And it just, like, I just closed the book and I haven't been able to go back to it. And It's been, like, three days. And it's, it's just, it's an, interesting, it's an interesting discussion. But for me, it, it kind of comes down to that bonding with the character, even going all the way back to what you, what you were saying about, the development of the super evil character. If we see him as a real person and his character is developed in such a way, it's easier to put up with really vile behavior because we know this person as a person. Even if we disagree with everything that he's doing, we have a sense of him as as a being and we want to continue reading and learning more.
1: Interesting. So I have questions and apologies to our listeners. This is going to just like totally take this off far beyond where I was going with this discussion, but sometimes it's like that. Um, okay. So the first thing about what you were saying with the kid Mm -hmm. and because you hadn't bonded to it, uh, for me as reader, that's irrelevant. I still couldn't, uh, I couldn't do it whether I bonded with the kid or not. I, I, this is a poor example, but I'm thinking of the, the show Stranger Things where there's, it's again, TV, not books, but mm-hmm. whatever. The kid disappears, you know. I refused to watch any more of that show until somebody gave me all the spoilers and I knew what happened to the kid and I knew everything that was going to go on. And then I was like, okay, fine. Now, now I know what happens, then I can go ahead and watch this. And if I had found out that certain things maybe would have happened— differently than it did in the show, I wouldn't have watched it. I would have been like, no, I'm out there. That's not enjoyable. I'm not going to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I'm, and I'm the same way with books. And it, it, it's just maybe it's just, I don't know, because they're kids. I, I would feel the same way about uh, somebody who was uh, low IQ, like mm-hmm. sim- simple, uh, because they are like children in a way, too, in their innocence and in their trust of people. And to to have that trust violated uh, I, I that's not it there's no form of entertaining that entertainment that makes that worth worth it to me it's not entertaining right so that's that's one side of it just that readers can be so different
0: because but, well let me let me jump in here and and make another point Dur- throughout the book in my reading of the book, it might be different if someone else read the book, but in my reading of the book, there was never this amped up anxiety that like what's going to happen it's it was always how are they going to catch the guy before something bad happens? More so than, is something bad going to happen? I never got a sense that something bad was going to happen. Okay. So that's that's maybe another point, and I don't know how he pulled that off, um, to be honest with you.
1: Uh, I, I don't know. The, the other thing uh, was... Wait... <laughs> My mind just blanked on me. It was the next thing that we were talking about. Um, It was after we were talking about that book. And then what was the other example that you gave?
0: Well, one was the kidnap thing where Uh the primary character was kidnapped. And the third was the second one. Golly. Now I'm drawing a blank. Oh, <laughs> oh, the uh, the group of uh, readers that uh, okay. I I work with. Yes,
1: I I know. I remember what it was. It was in your P, the book where the person got kidnapped, mm-hmm. right? And you said normally that in those PI type books, the main characters are the ones sort of fixing things. They're not the ones that get bad things happen to them, right? And that made me think of Monroe mm-hmm. because there are times that there was specifically one whole book where Monroe did get kidnapped and uh, that was the whole plot of the book. And I know that these are not PI books, they're thrillers, right? Mm-hmm. So you expect bad things to maybe sort of happen to the main characters, but I'm wondering what the difference was between the book where you liked that character and you, you were didn't want something bad to happen to her. And in a Monroe book, where you like the character, and maybe the difference is that you know Monroe is going to wreak havoc. Uh, somehow, she's oh going yeah, to get that's out exactly
0: it. it. You and wanted to keep reading to get to the point where she kicked ass,
1: you, right? Even though she, the, uh, the on the surface, the similarities are the same: main character kidnapped, bad things about to happen mm-hmm. to them. And one, you keep reading, and the other, you're like, no, I'm done reading. Well, I
0: mean, a- another difference is. We don't see the kidnap victim. She's just gone. And in the case of Monroe, it's it's Monroe's story. So that's exactly what we are. we're in Monroe's head as all this stuff is going. And, and she's working through what she can do and realizes it's not really anything. And my level of anxiety, if I have the right book, was in what could possibly happen to Logan, for example. I mean, th- there was something terrible happening to Logan in this book, if I remember correctly.
1: Yes, yes. Yeah, So So that's where the
0: anxiety was for me. It was not Monroe, because she's a superhero, and she would figure out a way to get out of this.
1: Okay, that's interesting. Those were my questions and my observations, and I, I know it took us in a different direction, but I don't really have anything more specifically on the subject of... Villains can they be too villain? I don't know if you have any questions or if that's well. Right. I
0: have one other. Um, you mentioned TV a couple of times, and I I will say that I'm more likely to turn off a movie or a TV show because someone is so reprehensible than I am in a book, and I think it's probably because of the way the characters are portrayed in the book versus you just see the actions and the evil without really having any insight into the person on TV. And you just go, I do not want to see this. I just get it off, get it out. I don't want to see, I'm not going to watch any more of these shows or I'm turning off the movie or whatever. But where with a book in a lot of cases, the particularly evil character has some interesting components, uh, that make you want to continue to read.
1: They feel human, in other yes, words. Whether yes. whether their humanity repulses you or not is a different story. Uh, not just as a well, Hannibal Lecter but... is
0: a great example. And everyone's seen the movie, but the book was... And, and the the movie was a pretty good representation of the book, but it wasn't the book. And in the book, it's like, you could not take your eyes off the character of Hannibal Lecter, as awful as he was. Um, It was just Thomas Harris did just an amazing I think it was Thomas Harris that wrote that um, did such an amazing job of creating this vile, awful, yet riveting and interesting character.
1: So that takes us back to that second leg of, you know, characterization, Mm -hmm. you know, how evil you can go depends on how skilled you are of bringing that character to life.
0: Yes, In and I'm completely filthy. with you. I can't even imagine how this plays into into a video game world because I don't see how you can get that that kind of depth into a video game character. But I am as far from a gamer as you can get.
1: Yeah, me too. But uh, if we have gamers who listen and who are who are probably if you, if you are a gamer and you're listening, you probably have all kinds of opinions right now, and <laughs> I really would love to hear them. So, yeah, because it's a whole it's a whole level of story, uh, a level of storytelling, a whole side of storytelling that I'm completely unfamiliar with. And I would love to learn more about it.
0: All right. So that is it for this week's show. We will be back in your ear next Tuesday. Thank you so much for listening. You guys next week.